36 times the Bible uses the phrase, the glory of the Lord. I'm not going to read all 36 to you, but I'm going to give you a few. Exodus 16, verse 7, In the morning, then ye shall see the glory of the Lord. Exodus 16, 10, They looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Exodus 24, 16 and 17, The glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days, and the seventh day God called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. Exodus 40, verses 34 and 35, Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Leviticus 9.23, the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. Numbers 14.21, as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Numbers 16.19, And Korah gathered all the congregation against Moses unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the congregation. Not because of Korah, but against Korah. 1 Kings 8.11 So that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. 2 Chronicles 7 verse 1 When Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. Isaiah 35, verse 2. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Isaiah 40, verse 5. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. Isaiah 60, verse 1. The glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Ezekiel 11 verse 23. The glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city. Ezekiel 43. By the way, I hope you're not listening saying, when is it going to stop? I hope you're listening saying, I want some of that. Ezekiel 43 verse 4. The glory of the Lord came into the house. Verse 5. Behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house. Ezekiel 44, verse 4, Behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord, and I fell upon my face. Habakkuk 2, verse 14, The earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Luke chapter 2, verse 9, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. You see clearly that this is a dominant topic in the Word of God. We didn't look at all of them. But the Bible clearly describes the glory of the Lord as being something that occurs again and again. Let me see if I can take you to a few of those places. Jacob was leaving home for the first time. His famous father Isaac had blessed him. And Jacob was going out To begin to build his own life. Up to this point. Jacob had paid very little attention to God. Jacob had lived a very self-centered life. 
But God had a purpose for Jacob's life. And he wanted to get Jacob's attention. So Jacob is journeying from where his father lived to the place where his mother was from. On his journey, his first night, he's going to sleep out in the wilderness. And he finds a place to lay his head down under the stars. And he finds a rock that he thinks will make a good pillow. And so he lays down and he sets his head on the rock for his pillow. And after he goes to sleep, God comes to Jacob in a vision. And it's a vision of a, of a ladder that God lets down from heaven. And there's angels going up and down that ladder. And God basically introduces himself to Jacob. See, Jacob is going to be the recipient of Abraham's covenant. And God is introducing himself to Jacob. And when Jacob wakes up, he says, wow. He says, the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. And Jacob gives the place a name. And that name is pronounced Bethel. And it means the house of God. That's where we get the name Bethel from, right next door to us. The house of God. What was Jacob telling us? He was saying, the glory of the Lord is in this place. By the way, many years later, when he has built his family and he comes back to where his father lives, he says to his family, we've got to go back up and we've got to revisit that place again because there was something very special in that place. We go to Mount Sinai. In Mount Sinai, Moses went up and gets from God the Ten Commandments, the basis for all human law, the Ten Commandments. He comes back down, and the Bible says that the commandments were written with the finger of God. Moses comes back down with those tablets of stone, and when he gets to the about halfway down, Joshua has been waiting for him. He's been up there 40 days and 40 nights. That's almost a month and a half. He's been up there and meeting with God, He comes back down, and Joshua's been waiting there for him all that time, about halfway up the mountain. And Joshua meets him, and Moses says, what in the world is that noise I hear? And Joshua said, man, it sounds like there's war in the camp. And Moses said, that's not the sound of war. That's the sound of a real wicked party. By the way, a wicked party has a sound that Christians shouldn't want to duplicate. He said, that's the sound of a really ungodly party down there. And they get down there, and sure enough, while he was up meeting with Almighty God, the same Almighty God that had brought them out of Egypt, the same Almighty God who had parted the waters for them, the same Almighty God who had killed the Egyptian army in their sight, the same Almighty God who had provided food and water for them again and again, While Moses was up meeting with him, they were down in the valley and they had taken all the gold in the camp and they had built a golden calf after the fashion of the Egyptian gods and they were worshiping that golden calf. And Moses got so angry that the tables of stone that God had written the law on, 
he crashed. They, they broke. And I know the joke is Moses was the first one to break the Ten Commandments, but it was no joke. He smashed them in pieces. And he went down, he took his sword, he drew a line in the sand. He said that he rebuked his brother. He rebuked everybody who was involved in it. And he said, whoever's on the Lord's side, cross over this line. He took the golden calf, he beat it into small pieces. He threw the, the gold dust into the water and he made the offenders drink the water. And then everyone who crossed over the line and said, all right, I'm, I'm with the Lord. He had the people on this side of the line kill the people on that side of the line. Now understand, that's, that is in a very different economy where God is in control. God's literally the king of the, of the country. Moses now has to go back up with God. They've got to do this same thing. By the way, when you fail the test, and Moses didn't fail the test primarily there, the people did. Because they failed the test, they had to let Moses go back up in the mountain and do it again. Until you pass the tests that God puts in front of you, you will not progress to the next step. Israel should have been in the promised land in 18 months instead it took them 40 years. Because they kept failing the tests. Moses had to go back up into the mountain. And you can imagine it's a very humble Moses. How do you go back to God? And God already knows, but you still got to tell him. You know, it's like confessing your sins. You know, God already knows, but I still got to tell him. You got to go back to God and say, God, remember, remember, um, remember those things you wrote <laughs> with your finger? Yeah. Well, there was a little incident down there. And they got they got broke. I mean, they're they're busted to pieces. And God said, I know, we'll do this again. But Moses got talking to God. He said, you know, Lord, these are some stubborn people. Wicked-hearted people. But they're your people. God said, yeah, I know. Why don't you just go ahead and lead them to the promised land? And Moses said, oh, no. No, if you don't go with us. First he said, if he said, forgive them, and if you won't forgive them, blot my name out of your book. But he said, if if you don't go with us, I can't, we can't go. Then Moses said, God, I'm going to ask you something. I want to see you. Something that no human being since Adam and no one since Moses now has. I want to see you. He said, if I could see you, it sure would be a whole lot easier. I would have the strength to lead these people. God said, Moses, you understand no man can see my face and live. You have sinful eyes. Sinful eyes cannot see a holy God. But, he said... I'm going to put my hand over you and I'm going to put you in this cut out place of the, of the rock over here. And he said, I'm going to take my hand away and I'm going to pass by you and you're going to see the back of my head without seeing my face. He said, that's the best I can do because if you see my face, you have to die. 
I've often wondered if that's what happened to Enoch. Maybe he caught a glimpse of God's face and God had to take him home. I don't know. That's just my little theory. So God took his hand away and passed before Moses and Moses saw almighty God. I don't know about you, but I'm real envious of Moses. How many times I've stood outside in the night air and looked up in the clear sky and said, God, if I could just see you for a half a second. If you could just roll back those clouds for a half a second. And God reminds me, I've given you everything you need. I've given you my word. I've given you my Holy Spirit. You have everything you need. But I hope it pleases God that I still do long with all my heart to see his face. And someday, someday we will. Moses continues his business there before the Lord. And it's time to go back down to the people. And Moses comes down the mountain and as he's approaching the people down below, strange thing happened. He notices that people's faces are turning away from him. You can't figure out why. I mean, people are shielding themselves like, Finally, someone says to him, Moses, are you aware that you are glowing? You are radiating. And Moses realizes this is because I've I've looked upon Almighty God and his glory still shines on my face. And so they had to put a veil. Can you imagine? They had to put a veil over Moses whenever he was talking with people. Because the glow, the light was beaming so brightly that they they couldn't look at him. It blinded them. The glory of the Lord. I'll give you one more example of the glory of the Lord. And that's the night that the angels brought the message to some shepherds on a hillside in Bethlehem. And we're all familiar with that story. People that don't even go to church are familiar with that story. The shepherds. Just common men, there was nothing special about them. And the reason God gave them the message is because God wanted them to know that the Savior is for the common man. Yeah, the kings came too, they're welcome to come too, but the angels appeared to the shepherds, to the common men out in the field. And they sang and they heard a choir after the angel gave them the message, Hey fellas, unto you is born this day in the city of David, Right down the road, a Savior. And you'll find him. You'll find, you'll go into the, don't go to the motel. Go into the stable. And you'll find a young lady and her husband. And you're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Basically, strips of cloth. And he's going to be lying in a horse trough. Imagine how that must have sounded to those shepherds. And when the angel was done making his announcement, the heavenly choir sang and it lit up the night sky. And it said, the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Now, there are no words to even come close to describing for you 
the glory of the Lord. But I want to give you a simple definition of the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord is the confirmation that God gives that you are in His presence. The glory of the Lord is the confirmation that God gives that you are in His presence. That may not be the best definition. It may not be the primary definition, but it's the one that I want you to get today because whatever else the glory of the Lord is, that is part of it. I've had throughout my life various places of prayer. At times I've been blessed to have places of prayer that I would go to the same place at the same time every day. And can I, I'll testify to you that as I would go to that place, the same place every day and pray, I can tell you, not, not at first, but after a period of time, after I'd gotten into the habit, there came a time where when I stepped into that place, I could feel without a doubt the presence of God. The glory of the Lord. And I wasn't a pastor, by the way, when that began to happen. What I'm talking about this morning is not, not for preachers. It's for believers. How much time do you invest in God's presence? If you're hungry for God's presence, you will come to know His glory. We could have, if we wanted, the glory of God in our lives. We could have it in our church every time we meet. You could have it in your Sunday school class, Sunday, Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Every class on this property, I think we've got 15 classes, every class could have the glory of the Lord in your class if you want it. Every Sunday morning service, we could have the glory of the Lord here. Every Sunday night service, we could have the glory of the Lord here. Every Wednesday night service, we could have the glory of the Lord here if we want it. The glory of God can be and should be in your personal place of daily worship and prayer. And it should be your desire and your effort to make it so. The glory of God can be and should be in your home. The glory of God can be and should be in your church. And listen carefully. The glory of God can be and should be in as many homes in Danbury as we can bring it to. That's why we have a bus ministry. Bus ministry is not just providing transportation. It's so much more than that. The bus ministry is going to home after home after home after home, inviting people first to come to a place where the glory of God is, and second, to see if they want the glory of God at their house. That's what the soul winning bus is about. It's going to door after door after door after door, seeing if people want the glory of God at their house. 
That's what the Danbury Blitz is about. That's what the radio broadcast is about. Leaving this place and going out to home after home after home. Getting in any way we can. If we can invite them through the mailbox, great. If we can invite them at the front door, great. If we can invite them through the radio, great. Whatever we've got to do to get to every door and say, do you want the glory of the Lord here? Imagine if when we say, I do this for the the Lord's glory. Imagine if when we said that we really meant, I do this so that God will manifest himself to us. Because that's what the Lord's glory is. It's when the presence of God is so real that you know he's there. There's about ten people in the room here this morning that We're in the service Thursday night. Every service this week at the Northeast Summit, God was there in a powerful way. But it it culminated Thursday night. And the presence of God, I mean, you can watch the the video online and you'll get a sense that something good was happening. But I got to tell you, unless you were sitting in the room, there's no way to describe the presence of God. You say, well, how do, you, how do you get that? You praise God's presence in. And you pray God's presence in. We need more of God's glory. Every place I just mentioned, we need more of God's glory there. We need, need more of God's glory. Listen, if we lived with God's glory in our lives, we wouldn't have to persuade anybody that God is real. They'd spend time around you and they'd know it. Now, everybody's got to make their choice. Listen, there were people who looked Jesus in the eye that rejected him. There were people who watched Jesus raise a man from the dead, and they still wanted to kill him. So everybody's got to make their own choice. I'm not saying if you had the glory of God on your life that everybody would get saved, but they would know that God is real. There are some folks that are so dug in to their unbelief that they're not letting go. I remember I had a friend that I went to Christian school with, and he graduated, and he got away from the Lord after he got, got out of Christian school, and he wound up going to a, a, a secular college. And uh, I, I don't mean that that's, he went to secular college because he got away from the Lord, but as he went to secular college, here's what he did tell me. He said, I went to a class where the professor argued against God every single class, and I never said a word. He said, I never spoke up for God one time. But he said, there was a girl in our class, and she was a Christian also. And she spoke up often. And one day she said to the professor, what would you do if God appeared right here in front of you and looked you in the eye? And called your name. What would you say then? And the professor said, if that happened, I would question my sanity and my perception. And his answer illustrated what the girl was trying to illustrate. That you don't reject God because you don't see any evidence. You reject God because it's in your heart to reject God. 
So you can live with the glory of God upon you and upon your family, upon your church, and there's always going to be people who are going to reject God because that's what's in their heart. But there's plenty of people that will see the glory of God in your life and know that it's real and give their heart to the Lord. We need more of God's glory in our personal place of daily worship. Don't be content for your time with God to just be academic. I read my chapter. I read through my, my list. I'm done. Oh, no. Whatever time you have with the Lord, whether it's five minutes, 15 minutes, a half an hour, seek the Lord every day. Praise him every day for his goodness. Seek the Lord with your whole heart. Don't just read the Bible as a textbook, but search for truth. God, show me something today. We need more of God's glory in our personal place of daily worship. We need more of God's glory in our homes. Is God glory at your house? Whether you live by yourself or whether there's 10 people in your house, you can have God's glory at your house. But somebody's got to decide to make sure that happens. We need more of God's glory in our church. I believe that anybody that comes in, and people have told me again and again, I remember we were in the VFW, and you'd come to church and you'd smell cigarette smoke because it was so much in the walls you couldn't get it out. And you had to go past beer signs to get into the auditorium because it was behind locked doors through a window. Nothing we could do. We could cover the window. but So in a beer hall with cigarette smoke, visitors would come and they'd walk out and say, man, there's something different in this place. God's in this place. And I praise the Lord for the glory of God that has rested upon this church. And praise the Lord, we do have the presence of God in every service. But I ask you, are you willing to do whatever it takes to have more of the glory of the Lord in your church? We need more of God's glory in as many homes as will have God. I'm convinced that there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of homes in the city of Danbury and the surrounding area that will have God if we would bring them. If we would bring God to their doorstep. I'll tell you a story quickly that, that, uh, that I haven't told much. But my, uh, my, uh, my mother's parents lived in Brewster on Peaceable Hill Road. And they lived, and I've got pictures of them out in front of this house that still stands there. They lived with a family there in a farmhouse. And it was my mother's mother's father or grandfather used to go down to the Busy Bee. Your mother's grandfather used to go down, just there was a, just a couple of doors down, there was a, Old bar room there called the Busy Bee. And he'd go down there and he'd, he, he would uh, fellowship with his friends down there. <laughs> there was a new little church starting in town. The preacher's name was Pinckney. And he was knocking on doors. And one day he knocked on that farmhouse door. And he led my mother's parents to the Lord. They got saved. And that's when the glory of the Lord came to the Eastwood family, my mother's side of the family. 
Here's what I didn't know until after. We, we, when we started church September 11, 1994, we started in a storefront on East Main Street in Brewster, right around the corner from where they lived. And I knew they lived there. I'd seen the pictures. But I didn't know the rest of the story. Anyway, we had to get out of the storefront we were in, and a co-worker worker of my father's knew the story, and he said, hey, I hear the VFW is uh, th- th- they're having trouble financially, and they could use a tenant. So my father got me the contact, and I called the man, and he said, sure. And so we wound up. I said, I think we'll be here about six months. We wound up being there 10 years, but. They gave us a, a nice price, and so we went, and that's where we met for 10 years. And what I found out after we'd been there a few years is that that VFW was the busy bee. And we wound up planning a church two doors down from the place where my grandparents got saved. My father wound up getting saved because my grandparents on my mother's side had gotten saved. I'm saying to you, there's folks all over the city of Danbury that are waiting for somebody just like it. Here's another interesting thing. The man in, in our church in Patterson that was responsible for helping bring my, my, my father to the Lord, the, uh, Pastor Dale led my father to the Lord, but sort of the, uh, the assist came from the head deacon. His name was also Pinckney, and there were two different Pinckneys. But anyway... There are people all over the city of Danbury that are waiting for somebody to come by and introduce the glory of the Lord to their household. I'm all done here. Someday every human being is going to experience God's glory. Philippians 2, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But let me say, Yeah, we're all going to do, hey, every knee, no exceptions. The atheist knee is going to bow to Jesus, to the glory of God the Father. The agnostic, the one who curses his name, everybody, no exceptions, going to bow their knee. But I want to do so now by faith. I want to live in the glory of the Lord now when I get to choose to. Not then when everybody in the universe of all time is going to be doing so. I say to you this morning, hunger and thirst for the glory of the Lord. Hunger and thirst for the glory of the Lord. I want so bad to come back and just give you play-by-play of our entire week. And everybody who went this week wants to do the same. Now I'll show you slides and, hey, let me play this for you. There's no way to do that. And I prayed and asked the Lord, what, what can I do to take what I received and pass it? And I just, the, the thing that kept coming into my heart is just let what you have overflow. Let what you have overflow. And I pray the Lord will enable us to do that. But if I had to put it all into a nutshell of what the Lord did in my heart this week, it's to hunger and thirst for the glory of the Lord in my life. Whatever you've got going on at your house, in your life, at your job, the problem we, our nation, it all will be solved when the glory of the Lord is manifest in your life. Father, I pray that you'd help us today.